This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Oh, Father, you are good and you lead us. I pray, God, that as you lead us during this time, you will lead us into your word to understand more clearly who you are, to see more clearly your son, to see what he did for us and how we are to respond to that in our lives. I pray, Father, that as we hear from your word, God, you would transform our hearts and our minds to do what you've called us to do in this life, but also to stand firm in our belief and our understanding that, God, you are you are an unchanging God in a changing world. And we have an unchanging hope, an eternal weight of glory when this world is tumultuous and changing. You are our strength. So we love you and we praise you. In your son's name, amen. Thank you, worship team. Love that last song. It's beautiful. Amen. I got a couple uh, main points under the main point this morning for you. The number one point is this today, and that is that God is immutable. That's a word that we don't use a whole lot, so I'll make it easy for you. It means God does not change. So I'm going to use that word a whole lot more than immutability. It's a whole lot easier to say, all right? And under that main point of the fact that our God is an unchanging God are three main points coming directly from Scripture today from Hebrews 13.8. The first point is this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Second point, Jesus Christ is the same today. And thirdly, Jesus Christ is the same forever. Our God is unchanging. He is immutable. And in a time where everything around us seems to be changing, and for some of us changing maybe very rapidly, uh, our, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you agree with me, church, that change is inevitable? It's gonna happen, right? Whether it's technology, or education, uh, health and habits, hairstyle, dress, jobs, maybe retiring from jobs, change of addresses, and yes, even gas prices, right? <laughs> and even laws change, right? Hardly anything in our lives, as we know it, remain constant. I'm not real big on Greek philosophy, but I've read my share of it over the years. And long before Socrates and Plato was a man named Heraclitus, who some 2,600 years ago wrote this phrase, and I think it, it works in this message this morning. He said this, that man cannot step into the same river twice. Think about that. Because everything flows. And what he meant by that is this, as water flows, slowly but surely the river bank erodes, so there's a change. The molecules of the water change. And that same person that stepped into the river before, that now steps into it a second time, has also changed. Even if it's just seconds later. 
Some of you love change, right? You just can't wait for it. Some of you can't stand change, right? And usually the older you get, the least or the less resistance to change uh, we become. But we have to adapt to that, to be healthy, to continue on engaging with other people, other generations that come behind. But So the reality is that there will be constant change. And I was reflecting on this, this, this for this Sunday, we're recognizing students, we're recognizing graduates, students moving up to a new class, maybe going into a new school, um, those who are graduating from high school into college or graduating from college and moving into the, the job world. Those who used to be the MVP of their sports teams in high school, they were up on the top. Now they're on the bottom as they go into college. It's a tough transition because it's change. This, again, is change in the lives for our students, for parents, and families. It means new surroundings. It means new friendships. It means new teachers, new careers for some. All of this change swirling around us in our households and families. It's comforting when that's going on to find something, or in the case of the study of the word this morning, some person who is not changing, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is God, who is the only one who can make the claim of immutability. It also should be an encouragement and refreshment to us this morning that nothing that really matters in eternity has changed. We have the same Bible. We have the same gospel. We have the same God. And we're going to look at yesterday, today, and tomorrow and what it means for us to know our unchanging God. So let me pray over the message this morning. God, I, I pray that your spirit would move in this place today. Father, as we hear from your word, would you just flow through me as a messenger this morning? Have your will and your way during this time. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look briefly at the word immutable. It comes from a Latin background. Uh, the word mutable simply means subject to change. If you remember from science class, there was the word mutation, probably, right? That means to change form, change in nature, or change a substance. So immutable simply means not subject to change, and that describes the character of our God. In Hebrews 13, the writer opens that chapter with instructions to the church. And he's saying to observe the leaders who are teaching. And in verse 7, he says, imitate their faith. And then in verse 8, he says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he warns them not to be led astray by strange teachings. A.W. Tozer years ago did a, a massive work on this topic. And he, he suggests three reasons why God cannot change. First of all, he says that God would, would have to go from worse to better. Right? That's one option. He said, or God must go from better to worse. 
And one other suggestion he has is that for God to change, he would have to change from one, uh, being one kind to being another kind. Let me illustrate that a little better, a little simpler understanding of it. I brought an apple up here. Some of you might have already seen me carry it up, and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a long sermon. The pastor brought a snack, right? (laughs) Actually, it looks pretty good right now on the third service, so I'm trying not to bite into this. But let's, let's pretend for a second that this is a green apple. It's still kind of bitter, still kind of hard, not ready to eat yet. But now, as you see, it's changed and transformed into a delicious red apple that's ripe, ready to eat. Could be very nutritional, very helpful to get through the rest of this service, right? So it went from worse to better, green to red, right? But if I forget this apple and leave it up on the podium, next week Pastor Mac comes and preaches, and this apple's still up there, it's not going to look like this, is it? It's going to rot, it's going to decay, it's going to go from better to worse, right? But see, God can't go from better to worse because God is holy and perfect. He cannot get any better. And he cannot go from worse to better because he can never be any holier than he is now. So change is necessary in created things, but not in the creator. Another example, this time of year you see these woolly caterpillars walking around, right? They could change and transform into being a beautiful butterfly. Because God the creator made them that way. But God does not change himself. As a man or woman, we change physically and emotionally and morally. We could go from poor health or poor morals to good health and good morals. Or you can flip that upside down and go the reverse way. The hymn writer of yesteryear, John Newton, wrote Amazing Grace and a lot of others. He attests that he was one of the vilest men on earth before Christ. There was a change in his life. The Apostle Paul, it's written in our Bibles, he called himself the chief of all sinners before Christ came into his life and changed it. But God is always the same. He is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. He is eternal. He is omnipresent and immutable and much, much more. Now, God does allow much change to occur, but he allows it so that he might establish that which cannot change. And what what does that mean to us? What does it mean today to our students? who are moving up in classrooms, who are graduating. What does that mean to us as families, parents, grandparents? It means the same Jesus who fed the multitudes will provide food for you now. It means the same Jesus that healed the sick and the deaf and the lame can heal you. It means the same Jesus that forgave the woman who fell at his feet can forgive you and I. It means the same Jesus who sat with tax collectors, prostitutes, 
beggars and the lepers, the outcast of society, is willing to sit and commune with you and I. You see, the Jesus we preach and teach about today is the same Jesus, because he doesn't change, that walked with his original disciples, and the same Jesus that is promising to return for his church. That's why we exist. That's why we worship him. That's why we must go and make disciples. So let's go and, and let's look and meditate on God's unchanging character. The first point, Jesus the same yesterday. You see, without, without a true picture of God, trying to understand things like injustice, suffering, traumatic events, apart from God, is only going to lead us to frustration and empty answers. Even our present life and circumstances make no sense. And I'm telling you, church, if, if you try to figure it out on your own, you take God out of the equation, you're just going to be one frustrated person. Our search for who we are doesn't begin with science or the latest textbook. It can be helpful at times, but it's not the answer. It's not going to come from some cosmic search for eternal energy within us or from the earth. It starts with God and his word. So we have to start all the way back in the beginning in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. We find that God already existed. And we read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You see, God was already there. Before light was created, before life was formed, before food was grown and animals and mankind were formed, God was there. We have to start with that. You can go into the New Testament in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, attest to this as well. The Gospel opens up by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Do you hear that? In him was life, and that life was the light of men. I always say, as you try to discover who you are, and why you're here, and what your purpose here is, you have to start with whose you are. You may disagree with me on that if you're kind of on the faith journey right now, but I encourage you to hear what I'm saying. Discover whose you are, and that opens up the door to figure out why you're here and what your purpose is. You see, our identity comes from understanding the truth behind the fact that we are created in God's image, male or female. We don't get to choose that because we are not God. 
And even though our culture may try to change that, God has not changed. He's still our creator. And I just want, with love, to to throw this out to you. If anyone here is struggling with that, with those identity issues, and who am I, why am I here, and is there even a God, talk to your student leaders, talk to one of us pastors or deacons. We'd love to walk with that journey with you through that, without judgment, so that you can get on the right path. It kind of hit home two weeks ago. Uh, God created a brand new grandson in my family out in California. My grandson had nothing to do with the fact that he was created in the womb and that he was born as a male child. God made that choice for him. God made that choice throughout Scripture. And he's still doing it today. He loves you. He created you. Our God is unchanging. It's part of his character and part of his attributes. And while everything around us is changing, God says about himself to the Israelites in Malachi 3.6 these words. He says, because I, the Lord, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Now why, why does he say that? What's going on in that passage? In Malachi 3.6, the passage is talking about the fact that God is faithful to not change. Because of that, he's going to end up to punish the nation but not destroy them for their disobedience. He didn't change his mind just because they sinned. He took Israel back to the same promises that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He promised not to destroy them because he was seeking their restoration and he was faithful in his promise. Church, aren't you glad today that Jesus does not change his mind about you and me when we sin or disobey? Hmm. Let that sink in. Aren't you glad that God is still in the restoration business? And it's because he is the same yesterday today and forever. In Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, the psalmist wrote, long ago you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years will never end. Man, that's powerful. This psalm is comforting for us because it shouts of God's faithfulness that even though his creation will change and even though what he has created will pass away, he remains constant without change. Now think about this with me, church. If God would change his character, how would that affect his promises? We, well, we, we would not be certain of those promises, right? And our hope in tomorrow would just be like a gamble or a wish. Oh, I hope this is true. But Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 says this. God is not a man that he might lie. Ooh, that's hard. 
He's calling man a liar here. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. And then there's this rhetorical question, does he speak and not act? Or promise and not fulfill? Parents and grandparents, what is God speaking to you today? Students in here, what is God speaking to you? What is he promising to you? Have you taken time to be still enough and listen for that? Because he will not lie to you. He will not speak without acting. Nor will he promise you something and not fulfill it. Hang on to that. Claim that. Hang on to that. Years ago, J.I. Packer wrote in a book speaking about how God's unchanging brings us stability in a constant changing world. He says, when we read our Bibles, we need to remember that God still stands behind all the promises and demands and statements of purpose and words of warning that are there addressed to New Testament believers. These are not relics of a bygone age, he says, but an eternally valid revelation of the mind of God toward his people in all generations, so long as this world lives. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying this Bible that you and I have, this is not just some history book that a bunch of men put together and tried to record a couple things that happened. This is not some bygone relic of a, a earlier age that is no longer relevant, no longer applying to our lives today or tomorrow. He's saying it's the revelation of the mind of God for all people in all generations. So Jesus is the same yesterday, and next let's look at Jesus the same today. In James 1, in verse 17, we read, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You know, if, if we walked out here this morning under the parking lot and maybe in our grassy field back here around 10 o'clock this morning, on a hot, sunny summer day that we have, that sun might have cast a shadow down on us and cast it out across the field and across the parking lot, right? You've seen that happen. You look three times as big, right? And you're like, oh, I've got to lose some weight, whatever, right? But if we kind of had lunch together, hung out for a couple of hours, and went out to the same place again at 3 o'clock, we might not even see a shadow, or if we did, it would be a different angle, wouldn't it? because the universe is in the rotation of all that stuff that I don't understand. <laughs> but God is not like that. He's not a shifting shadow. He's constant. He's the same every day. Also in James, when that, when that book opens up, chapter one, Christians are warned that they're going to experience trials of many kinds. And he says we are to be joyful even in those trials. Now why is that here? Why is that in our word? 
I can't unpack that. That's another whole sermon. But let me just suggest in this message, maybe that's there because God knew that we would look to blame someone. Blame someone for our shortcomings and our failures. It's easier to point the finger at somebody. It's easier to shake our fist at God and say, why did you do that to me? And many times, I believe God gets wrongly blamed for what happened to us. And he goes on to explain that that God does not tempt us. James says, but rather, it's our own sinfulness. You see, God is the giver of every perfect gift. He's not the one that tempts us. The enemy is. And because God is unchanging, he will always be good to us. He will always be true to himself. This concept that seems to be growing in our culture today of a God, probably a little g, that is growing or developing and changing as the culture changes, that's not found in the scriptures. It's not in there. It's kind of like getting the cart in front of the horse, right? If, if God has to change every time something in our culture changes, we, we can't hang on those promises then because God is constantly changing like shifting shadows. But that's not our God. I know this truth is contrary to what some are being taught. Culture, after all, is constantly changing, and it wants a God that changes with it. But that's not Bible. It's not biblical. God will always act in a way that is for your good and his glory. If we get real with each other today, in our humanness, we have good days and bad days, don't we? How many is having a good day today? All right. And if you're not having a good day, we, we already know it probably, right? Because <laughs> our moods change, right? It's, it's how we're wired. Our moods change. We might treat people differently based on stress level, events of the day, whether I've had my coffee, right? Whether I slept last night, all that. Our brokenness may drip over others around us. And our wounds, if not healed, may bleed on those who have not hurt us. But not so with God. Church, aren't you glad that God doesn't have moody days? (laughs) You call on him, you're like, brother, I'm not having a good day today. Just call me tomorrow. (laughs) Aren't you glad he doesn't ignore us before he's had his first coffee? Now, I'm not sure about the coffee thing. I, you know, I don't know if that's going to be in heaven. I'm kind of banking on it myself. But you, you, get my, you get my thought here. Aren't you glad he doesn't change his mind by loving us yesterday, but today hating us? Oh. You see, the same love that brought Jesus from heaven to an earthly cross for our sin is still available to you and I today. He conquered sin, he conquered death, and he promises us a home in heaven if we believe. He promised this. 
And we can rest in this promise because he is an unchanging God. Man, most of us spend so much time and energy planning and mapping out things and setting goals and worrying, if we're real, about tomorrow. That we lose out on what God is doing today. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Scripture says that. But we have today. Don't miss what God wants to do in and through you today because you're so far into looking ahead to tomorrow. So we learn from the yesterdays of God's faithfulness. We see God at work in our current lives today and lastly, let's look at Jesus the same forever. God has promised to save a people, scripture says, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's mentioned in Revelation 5.9. Everything that God has done, everything that God is doing, and everything that God will yet do is to accomplish this purpose. It's unchangeable. He promised to establish a nation through Abraham, and he did that. He promised to send a savior and he did that. He promised to send the Holy Spirit and establish the church, and he did that. And he promised to return and call his church into eternity with him. Why would we not believe that he will also do this? Revelation 21 gives us just a glimpse of what that's going to look like in eternity. Verses 3 and 4, John writes, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. There it is, the same forever. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain, no more. Because the previous things have passed away. See, church, while God does not change, we as sinful people must change in order to enter into God's kingdom. And this change is going to come from one who loved a sinner like you and like me when we were dead in our sins, deserving of God's wrath. He changed us to a forgiven sinner who now stands clothed in the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is God who provides the means for sinners to be changed through Jesus, who transforms us into new creations, who forgives us, justifies us, so that we can have a hope that is imperishable and unchanging. And this is not done by performing some kind of good works in order to gain God's favor to get into the kingdom. We cannot do enough to get into the kingdom. We cannot be good enough, not even close, because God is holy and perfect, and we are far from that. You see, the work, the good work has already been done. 
through Jesus Christ, God accomplishes this in our lives, the result of his goodness and grace. That's how we get it. That's how we change. The only change that God will accept is the change which he's going to produce in and through us, through the work of his Son and the Holy Spirit. But for those who choose to reject Christ, there is no comfort to be found in the immutability of God because their destiny is much different than ours as a believer. But for those who have trusted in God's provision, there is no greater comfort than to know that God chose us. He called us and promised us eternal salvation that will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The immutability of God is a significant part of our eternal hope. Assurance provides stability and confidence in times of uncertainty and circumstances that appear threatening to us. We can feel secure because our God is unchanging. His promises and his purposes are now certain. They cannot and they will not fail. For he who has promised to judge sin is the same God who has promised to save us from our sins and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I can confidently say Jesus never changes. He took on flesh, but he was 100% human while also being 100% God. He entered into our pain and our suffering he left this privileged position on high so that one day we can be gloriously changed forever and reign with him eternally. And nothing, church, can change that. Nothing that matters for eternity has changed yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. I have a couple gospel responses to close with here this morning. Number one, I've hit this pretty hard. The character of God does not and will not change. I would challenge you all this week in your life groups, in your D groups, to focus on that a little bit. What does this mean to you? How does that affect you? Maybe, maybe some of you, this is the beginning of your faith journey and, and you don't quite grasp this yet and, and maybe this is the first time you've heard this preached or taught on. Open that up. Unpack that with your group. Search the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Look in the word yourself and see it's there. And secondly, our unchanging God wants to change you and I. Will you open your heart, church, and let him examine things? Will you receive that transformation he wants to bring to you? Will you allow God and others that you trust to speak into your life, to hold you accountable, to correct you, to affirm you, to encourage you? I'm headed, as you know, on my sabbatical starting this coming Thursday. I'm like, God, here I am. I want to open up my heart wide open and say, do your thing. <laughs> here I am. Just going to fall flat and say, God, change me. Number three, you can rest assured 
of your salvation. Because our souls are in the hands of an unchanging God. If you have trusted Christ with your salvation and your eternal life, nothing's gonna take you out of his hand. Oh, it may feel like it. (laughs) It may seem like it at times, like he's gone away, but he has got you in his hand. And if an unchanging God has you in his hands, has your soul, has your life, has your eternity in his hand, you can count on that because our God is unchanging. He is immutable. Let me pray for you and I'll ask the worship team to come forward to close us out. God, you are constant. You are faithful. You fulfill promises. And we know you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, may we put our trust in you and only you. For you alone are worthy of all of our praises. God, would would you help us reach the nations with the hope that lies in the gospel message? Father, would you restore us and transform us? May you, the unchanging God, radically transform and change us so that we can bring you more honor and glory. For it's in the precious name of Jesus that I ask these things. Amen. Let's worship together.
Isn't it good to worship an unchanging God? Well, church, let's live like it. Let's live like we have a God who's unchanging in a world that is changing. Amen? All right, I'm going to see y'all next week. And remember, you're sitting in the midst of darkness to light it up. Let's light up a changing world. We'll see you next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.